You're listening to Burnout Made Me Do It, a podcast for Monday haters looking for change, where I share tips on how to prevent and recover from burnout and interview amazing guests that come and share their stories. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Hollingdale. I'm an ex-burner turned psychotherapist and coach, and I help people feel happier and more fulfilled in their workplace. Now let's get to the good stuff. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Amber Price, uh, a therapist extraordinaire and specialist in neurodiversity. So Amber, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Okay, so I am a therapist, um, a licensed professional counselor, as well as a behavioral analyst. Um, I also now am a certified clinical coach and I am focusing in the area of ADHD. Um, So, In my realm, in my therapeutic experience, coaching experience, I'm going to be focusing specifically on people with ADHD, which is considered to be part of the neurodivergent spectrum. (laughs) Right now, I'm creating programs that can help adults with ADHD just manage symptoms better, learn new emotional regulation skills, and learning how to just be more comfortable and confident in their neurodivergent skin, in their ADHD brain, in their body, etc. That sounds very necessary. (laughs) So in your experience and in your expertise, like how could burnout be potentially the same and potentially different for folks who have uh, that divergence? Um, I think it's it's first just uh, important to maybe break down what neurodivergent means or what neurodiversity means. Please. So it was a term that was coined by a sociologist in 1997. Her name was Judy Singer, and she actually brought up the word neurodiversity to help with autism awareness. So she herself had autism and, and she was advocating for autism autistic rights. So people with autism to just have more awareness and rights in our world. Um, So the whole idea is that there are neurotypical (laughs) with neurodivergent brains. It's a very um, broad spectrum. It's not just black and white. So how it's explained basically is that um, neurodiversity is basically an acceptance that your brain works differently than the typical or normal society. Um, It can incorporate ADHD, it can incorporate autism, it can be dyslexia, Tourette's, you know, those are the diagnoses that go along with neurodivergent individuals. But it can also mean that your brain works differently because you're super creative, you're maybe a little more chaotic than the normal person, maybe a little more disorganized, maybe um, you're really awesome at problem solving, but maybe not following through. Um, So yeah, you know, sometimes those qualities are in the normal society, Um, but it definitely is something where a neurodivergent person recognizes that their brain doesn't work like everybody else's, that They don't fit in in society sometimes into the linear corporate America school system kind of world that expects you to have one plus one equals two. A lot of times a neurodivergent person is like, well, one plus one could equal two, or it could equal this if you think about it this way, or, you know, it's, um, so there is a recognition that 
the brain works differently than other people around you, that your brain works differently. Going back to your question, so ADHD and autism burnout are just a neurodivergent burnout can look similar to a neurotypicals burnout, but there are certain things that are just a little bit different. And one of the big differences is masking. And that's a term out there. And I'll explain what that means. So a lot of times because people feel different, they recognize that their brain works differently. They recognize they're messier, more chaotic, more disorganized. They feel like they have to mask or hide or try to camouflage those parts of themselves so that they fit in and nobody notices that they're different. And so that masking is a that definitely leads to burnout because it sucks up energy, it sucks up time, it causes anxiety, you're always having to worry, am I looking normal? Is anybody gonna think I'm a fraud? Are they gonna think I'm not smart because I talk too excitedly and passionately and with my hands, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's one of the biggest differences that I've experienced as well as uh, recognized within the literature that I've read about autism and ADHD. That's fascinating because I, so I know burnout very, very well and what causes burnout in any kind of typical scenario, right? So we're talking about now folks who have all those factors of burnout that anyone else can have, like the overwork, the difficult yeah. management, the lack of feeling like we have kind of control over our outputs, and yeah. at the same time are spending a huge amount of physical and emotional energy, you know, trying to make sure that, that they're not standing out in a, in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it could be they could lose their job or they could be seen as lazy or unintelligent or yeah, it, it's there is that constant worry that I'm different, but I don't want other people to see me as different. Mm. And that the some of the ways uh, that folks might be working are clearly working well for them or they have sorted out ways of, of managing the processes and, and workloads that they need to get done in their own way, but they may not look the way that perhaps corporate America has expected a task to look or a, a project to look. In some ways, absolutely. That, you know, there's a lot of, um, I'm not a big fan of this term, but high functioning uh, ADHD, um, the the different spectrum of autism allows for like Asperger's of people who are kind of higher functioning in the world and they can mask sometimes, they can mask those symptoms of their underlying, you know, neuro, neurodivergent selves. They can mask those pretty well and they've figured out workarounds. They figured out how to, you know, how to appear like you have everything organized, how to appear like you have things under control. And behind the scenes, it's they're working sometimes 10 times harder to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about ADHD in specific is that there's just slower processing times that the brain can come up with a million ideas not related to what you're needing to do, but to actually focus on finishing something, sometimes it it needs to percolate. It needs to take time to come out to, you need to get through those thousand ideas and then simplify, simplify, simplify. Aha, this is how I make it streamlined. This is how I make it look normal. This is how we get to the goal that my boss told me I should get to. <laughs> and, and 
what do you recommend for for folks who are trying to get to grips with that part of themselves or, or trying to figure out their strategies? Yeah, so that's complicated. Say, like, <laughs> that's a big old question. So answer whatever part of that you feel like is appropriate. Okay, it's doable. It's totally doable. I, I'm a believer in change. I'm a believer that there is hope for everybody. So absolutely. Um, so one of the things is um, when you're trying to not mask and spend so much emotional energy on masking your neurodivergent mind, one of the biggest steps is just accepting that part of yourself and knowing that you have worth in your differences, um, that not everybody has that ability to come up with a thousand ideas. Not everybody has that ability to um, see the big picture see the forest, not the trees. Um, so the biggest thing one up front, and this is in the programs that I'm creating too, is just accepting and celebrating the fact that you are different and not feeling like you have to mask it all the time. Um, sometimes that means maybe not staying in the same job because sometimes there are certain positions that don't celebrate differences and it can feel like you're constantly having to hide and sometimes there's more creative accepting loving jobs in environments that allow you to be who you are so that's number one and then the second part of that that kind of goes in is learning how to regulate emotions and learning how to um you know, when you are getting stressed out because of the flurry of activity or the, the slowness or, you know, whether it's the flurry, the slowness, the, you know, overextending yourself, et cetera, um, learning how to cope with stress in that, in that moment so that you don't go to the shutdown mode, to the overwhelm, to the burnout, to the, to the so it doesn't cross that line. to do it. <laughs> Keep your, yeah. And it, it's, it's easy to say, keep your emotions in check. Oh yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> it's, it's deeper than that because there's a lot of shame that is um, that is gone going on behind the scenes. Shame, shaming ourselves uh, by being different. It's long-standing habits of negative thoughts and negative patterns in our lives that we're trying to fight against sometimes um, in just trying to regulate our own emotions. Well, and, and to your point, like coinciding sometimes with unfriendly environments that are in their own way, heaping shame on for any kind of, of difference. And yeah. I talk with a, a lot of my clients as they're going through burnout, like that sometimes we can job craft, right? Sometimes we can make the environment work better for us or introduce the environment to new ways of working that are going to be healthier and happier for everyone. And yeah. sometimes we've tried that and that environment is not shifting or there's mm -hmm. just no expectation that it can, in which case we sometimes have to make that ballsy decision to, to pick up and, and take our party somewhere else <laughs> yes. um, so that we can kind of make the environment a better match for us. Mm -hmm. It is ballsy. I like that word. <laughs> Do you happen to know or have an opinion about like industries that are more or less friendly in these kind of situations? What or, or do you have any experience yourself around these items? <laughs> yeah, so I was just going to bring up a personal experience in my life and then I can definitely talk about like 
in regular life, you know, what are some positions that might fit better for neurodivergent people? So a part of my life where I felt very burnt out is I had just put on my big girl pants as a licensed professional counselor. I was getting out there in the world. I had my first job. I was working as a behavioral health case manager for a position where I was helping high school dropouts get their high school diploma and college degree at the same time. So I taught classes to these students. I was their case manager. I helped them with emotions. And I did a lot of the organization graphs of all the statistical data collection that needed to be done for this program. At the same time, I was starting my PhD program in counseling. Why not? You know, not too much at all. Just a and 17 plate spinning there. <laughs> I crashed and it was definitely a time in my life where I was like, okay, I have taken on way more than I can do physically, emotionally, time-wise, et cetera. And I realized that specific position that I was in, even though I'm passionate about helping people, it was too much to be a teacher, a case manager, and a data collector all at the same time. And it just, um, I started getting negative reviews from my boss or started, you know, um, I started recognizing I was slipping on the details and I started staying later, et cetera, um, just to catch up because it, I started losing the passion and I started being overwhelmed by all the, the numbers and the, the data and all that stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think for me that that made me realize like a job like that, even though it's all well and good and it helps the world and it helps teenagers and young people, it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, were there personalities clashing in that job? Yeah, there was a little personality clash between me and the Bane boss too, but- That um, added to the, the stress, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, she was very linear thinking and I was like, hand talking, passionate, let's help these kids, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so to come back to your question, so, sometimes you have to jump into a job to realize like it's not a good fit. Maybe you're surrounded by people who are very linear thinking, not accepting, and you look around and you're like, wow, I have nobody who understands me. <laughs> um, but other times, you know, in my therapy practice, I have uh, clients with ADHD who are software engineers who get to stay at home, create their schedule. They create software. I have somebody else who is um, in corporate America. She's a project manager, but yet she has a specific niche and she is making it work. She's doing it. Um, and somebody else who works as a scientist, uh, well, what? works in the pharmaceutical industry. I don't know exactly what she does. <laughs> in all honesty, it's above my head. Us and I probably wouldn't understand it. Yeah, yeah, it's above my, <laughs> above my knowledge. And um, she is able to make things work at her job, even though she feels like it's, it not, it's not 100% who she is, but she's able to make things work. And then when she comes home, everything right now, everything at home falls apart because her job takes so much energy. So um, I would say that neurodivergent people don't have to be stuck in a box of this job only works for you, <laughs> but it, it definitely is something that allows 
for there to be creativity, something that allows for there to be a lot of problem solving, something that's not boring, no button pushing jobs. That's not going to work for somebody with ADHD. <laughs> no Homer Simpson jobs. <laughs> Just the button push, single, yeah. single finger typing for me. Um, I love what you said about like looking around and seeing if there is, you know, at least one person who understands you. And I, I think part of, of what I talk a lot about with companies is that there's been this shift and I think we're still in it, still, you know, trying to wrap our heads around this in the workplace, that it matters that mm -hmm. you feel like you have allies there, right? It, it used to be, I think, in a sort of like 1980s realm of things like work was work and your personality and your feelings didn't kind of matter yeah exactly mm -hmm. just suck it up get on with it do the job in essence they're asking you to mask your your humanity right yes. right we'll just be robots it'll be fine right we, yeah. we now know that that doesn't work and some organizations are are more savvy to that and trying to move further forward with that than others but i i think like you're describing there, for all of us to be able to look around our team, whether it's in person or virtual, and yeah. see, sure, maybe we're all different in different ways, but some people have my back, some people like know how I operate and think that it's kind of cool, like we, we <laughs> vibe well together. And so that human part of like having people on your team that are really actually on your team, I think okay. is, is so critical. So that's, that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I have that right now. I'm not gonna tell you where I work, but I work for a large uh, insurance company right now, a health insurance company as a behavioral health case manager. And I have a marvelous boss who allows it. I work from home, so he allows us freedom to set our schedules. We just have to clock in and clock out at a certain time, but we take our calls, we make our calls according to our schedule and he trusts us. He trusts that we're intelligent. We have master's degrees. We know what we're doing. We are able to do this. And then obviously he does the same boss things. He checks in with us quarterly and, you know, does that. Um, but yeah, on my team, I definitely have people I'm vibing with. I have a fellow coworker who also has ADHD and she's able to laugh about it. We're able to laugh about it together. I have quirky, fun, um, other coworkers who are just like, interesting and I would say neurodivergent in their own ways um, and then people like we're therapists we're all therapists by trade or social workers by trade so we understand emotions and like that is valuable people who understand and are okay with talking about emotions that's my people yeah <laughs> that's my people like that space that freedom the feeling like we don't have to hold things in yeah. is very freeing yeah, and it's really ironic because it's still corporate America. It's a large insurance company, but I found like a micro, um, what is the word, microcosm or a little micro yes. part of corporate America that is safe to be who I am and accepting. Like, it's cool. Are there any uh, sort of tips or, or, or clues that you could share about how you first knew this was like a, a good spot for you or like whether you did you know it as you went through the recruitment process what could somebody look out for is there anything um well I definitely during the interview process I I got a feel for the boss and the the team lead and they both seemed like very caring individuals they both themselves are counselors by trade too so they're not 
you know, they just came across as warm, caring, but yet we have a position <laughs> that's open that we need you to work on and do your best on. Um, and then along the way, um, you know, just getting to know coworkers slowly and just asking about their lives and trying to figure out who they were. Um, I'm a, I'm an over sharer, over talker. I am of the hyperactive part of ADHD. <laughs> so um, it's easy for me to just talk to people and like, it's a, it's a, I'll talk to a stranger in a store. I'll talk to random people. And then if they walk away and they're like, she's weird, then I, you know, I know that's not somebody who necessarily wants to engage with me more in the future. And the same goes for this job. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to people, see if they understand, see if they laugh at my sarcasm, at my humor. And then there's some people on my team, we don't jive, we don't vibe together. Even though we have things in common, we just, we're different people. So I guess to go back to your question, um, I guess, I didn't know 100%. It's like, it's kind of like the honeymoon phase. You go into a job and you're just happy to be making money, happy to be like getting a raise or happy to have something that's going to give you some security. And then it's either, then you figure out along the way, it's either working or it's not working. And I wouldn't say my job is perfectly satisfying every purpose and every like desire in my heart, oh. but it, it, it feels good and it feels safe um and I don't have to constantly mask myself so that's that sounds like a good spot to be in yes yes um your your sort of check of whether people are vibing with you makes me think of this story I don't know if it's true but um okay. Justin Timberlake and his wife Jessica Beale. Yeah. Jessica Beale, Beale. I think it's right. mm -hmm. such a cute couple Right, adorable. Um, and he once said in an interview, he knew she was for him when he walked into a room, made a really inappropriate joke, and the only person who laughed was her. And he was like, aha, my person. And not that we all have to make inappropriate jokes, although that is personally my forte. Um, you get to, to sort of float these things, right? Like put out ideas, have a little chat, like see who's sort of picking up what you're putting down to, to use that old lingo. And, and start to kind of build a little understanding of who your allies might be in that way. Mm -hmm. Tell us, for you, self-care, right? Which is, you know, when we're talking burnout, a, a huge part of things. Yes, there are systematic issues uh, and bigger issues that are causing burnout for people. Individuals tend to only have the ability to change their own schedules and their own sort of practices. So I talk a lot with them about what kind of self-care they can have in place to help buffer against burnout. So tell us your sort of self-care program. What do you do for yourself? Okay, so I have 500 hobbies. I am not at a lack for hobbies. I am a passionate individual who finds joy in a lot of things. Um, but yes, painting and, um, Art. So my mom is an artist. We always did art growing up. I have an undergraduate in studio art and psychology. Um, I definitely, it's my, it's my therapy. Like I used to, as a teenager, 
like when I was in the heavy emotions, the heavy, heavy emotions of being a teenager, I would draw pictures from magazines and I would just get out my art supplies. And my mom was so cool. She let me paint like a mural on my wall. So I painted a garden on the wall of my bedroom. So it's just been something that has been passed down to me, I feel like, but it's also something I feel pretty confident and good at. So um, my current thing is I paint mandalas. Like uh, it is a process of painting dots, starting from the center and then going out in concentric circles. And it's a process that slows me down. I paint dot by dot by dot and I take breaths as I paint. It's a long process, so it requires sometimes starting and stopping or turning on good music for hours. Um, so that's my current like passion project as far as art. Um, I also have big canvases in my basement and our canvas, uh, like the fabric and I tape it to the wall of my basement with plastic behind it. And I like painting big because it gets my body moving. Um, I also do yoga. Um, I'm in a habit right now of journaling every morning to just get out, get out the thoughts and start my day um, kind of a little more focused. And that journaling process helps me catch myself. Like I'll be journaling and then I'll start daydreaming and I'll be like, oh, okay, come back to the journal. Um, and then uh, for me, it's super important to exercise. So at least 30 minutes a day, I go outside in nature with my dog, or sometimes I leave the dog and go do my own thing on my bicycle. Um, and then my boyfriend is into motorcycles. Oh. And I recently bought a motorcycle from my girlfriend and I'm scared and I'm pushing myself to do it anyway. And oh. it's actually kind of fun. I'm learning how to use a clutch and learning how to shift on my motorcycle. So that's so exciting. Is, I don't know if that's self-care or putting myself in danger, but <laughs> but it's something different to get out of my head and go do things. Yeah, it's, it's exploring some different parts, like finding some new passions. And, and I'm yeah. sure, yeah, I'm terrified of motorcycles and also deeply intrigued. Like yes. I'm sure there's like a little bit of excitement and, and adrenaline that comes with with doing that and I think that's awesome what a great range that you have in your kind of like self-care kit there yeah from yoga to mindfulness and motorcycling like you I'm know. taking a mandala and you'll be drag racing down PCH in no time you know part of having ADHD sometimes is you want to do it all and you spread yourself too thin um but I don't do all these every day I just want to clarify I don't do all these <laughs> every in rotation day. They are. All right, so a totally flippant question that I ask everyone. Yes. Uh, what is the stupidest slash weirdest thing that burnout has ever made you do? Ooh, okay, I have thought about that before. Um, let's see, I do a lot of impulsive, crazy things. Uh, <laughs> stupidest, okay, repeat the question one more time. The stupidest? Or the silliest? Yeah, what would be, what is the stupidest, craziest, silliest um, thing that you have ever done in response to, to burnout? Hmm. I, I always talk yeah. about, I've, I mean, I've done some crazy things in response to burnout. I was just yeah. talking a, a couple of weeks ago at one where I decided that I was going to move uh, not just countries, but continents. That'll do oh. it. Why not? Fine. Did that. Um, 
And then in the in the Facebook group uh, that I have, Burnout Made Me Do It, where we all get together and, and sort of talk about where we are with burnout and, and share mm -hmm. our experiences. There are some wonderful women in there who are talking about everything from, uh, I bought a house to um, I have now uh, a brand new treadmill and nowhere to put it to <laughs> the most recent confession this week was I spent $2,900 on dinners in the last 10 days. Oh, wow. Okay. I was Hello. like, girl, I'm just impressed. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. The I have a couple. Do I have to just say one? Okay. No, no, please give me all the juicy gossip. <laughs> Well, I feel like, okay, going back to the motorcycle for, for a second, like I had at the beginning of this year, I started a business program that was going to help me figure out how to do my own private practice on the side, my own coaching business, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I had a tremendous amount of fear associated with this tremendous amount of fear. So that fear was making me feel like I couldn't do it. And then I was trying to do too much. So I would say that I was headed towards the burnout zone. And so I bought this motorcycle so I could on a micro scale, prove to myself that I could get over my fears. Like this program and me having a business is gonna take a lot longer than me learning how to use a clutch and learning how to use a stick shift. And so like, I would say, yeah burnout kind of made me like fear and heading towards burnout made me get the motorcycle um I want that on a t-shirt for you burnout made me a biker chick <laughs> I would love that yes I have a cricket machine in my basement um with that I can make I can make this um and then other things yeah I think related to what you what you said about picking up and moving I I like to travel a lot. So sometimes I just need to, like, I need to schedule a random trip to someplace crazy to just get away from everything. And um, yeah, I went to Iceland. I went to uh, Thailand. I went to places to just get the heck out of my head, get the heck out of Missouri, get the heck out of the United States. Um, and it helps. It really does help to shift perspectives. Um, I always come back to Missouri. I don't know why. I always come back to Missouri. <laughs> but but home just leave, home. <laughs> leaving for a little while absolutely helps me. Fun. So. That sounds like a, a good travel list. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with me today and, and sort of getting into the, the nitty gritty of, of burnout and how it works in, in different people. Um, you mentioned that you are creating a program or, or have a program that's going to be helping people um, specifically around some of these areas. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so the program that I'm creating, so um, my business is called Ready and Focused ADHD Coaching, and I'm creating a program called Chaos to Clarity, and it is for adults with ADHD, and it's going to be a 60-day program with group group sessions included with learning, um, audio, visual. I'm going to, because all of us learn so differently, I'm going to include all the audio, visual learning. Um, and yeah, it's going to be focused on helping people not only kind of celebrate their neurodiversity, celebrate their neurodivergent brain, celebrate the good things about their ADHD, but it's also teaching them how to regulate their emotions in a way that can help them quickly navigate through stuck points. 
and um, and then also offering skills to try lots of things to just um, make their life feel less of a struggle and more of a I got this I got this clarity I got this under control they're in the I'm teaching adults basically how to be in the driver's seat of their ADHD with ADHD being the the fun passenger next to them <laughs> that sounds like a great way of putting it thank you so much thank you for talking to us and joining us on burnout made me do it um, if you are interested in more info, you can check out Amber's details uh, in the text below, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on the Burnout Made Me Do It podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you want to know how much burnout is costing you, you can go to my website, www.burnoutmademedoit.com, where you'll find a free burnout calculator. Till next time, friends. Remember, Mondays aren't the enemy, burnout is.